Okay, let's quickly move on from that. Right, the title of this message is called Christmas is for Everyone. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes this time, of, this time of year, you can ask the question, well, who is Christmas really for? Is it just for the children? Is it for those with, with families? Is it for the grandparents to relive their childhood again with their grandchildren? Who is Christmas for? Christmas really is for everyone. Christmas is the incarnation. It's when God stepped out of heaven and was born of Mary into the form of a baby, baby Jesus, that would be the salvation for the sins of the whole world. Salvation for anyone and everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. And the reason we just read the genealogy, and one of the reasons why it's in Scripture is because Matthew from verses 1 to 17 shows us that no one and nothing is beyond redemption. It shows us that Christmas is really for everyone. It's interesting that Matthew, the writer Matthew, should put this at the beginning of his gospel. This is Matthew, the traitorous, hated tax collector. The one who was welcomed and called and loved by Jesus and called to follow him as one of his 12 disciples. We look at the nativity, the story that we know well, the nativity has in it the dirty, disregarded shepherds. It has the foreign pagan worshippers who come with their gold, frankincense and myrrh. In fact, all the guests at the Christmas story show us that Christmas is for everyone. Matthew was Jewish. He wrote the Matthew's Gospel primarily to the Jews. And yet he puts in this list of all types for us, the genealogy of Jesus right there, front and center, at the front of his Gospel. As Jen mentioned uh, at the beginning of our meeting, and the angels declare in Luke 2 and verse 10, Christmas, the good news of Jesus, really is for all people. That's what the angels declare. Good news of great joy for all people. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick out seven names in that genealogy. We're going to look at seven imperfect people. Each of them demonstrates a particular sin or characteristic that you might think disqualifies them from Jesus Christ. But I want to show you today again and again and again that nothing disqualifies you from Jesus and nothing disqualifies you from Christmas. Christmas really is for everyone. We bring our sin, we bring the characteristic into the light and let Jesus deal with it. There is forgiveness. There is freedom in Jesus and in Christmas, as we will see. Okay, first person we're going to look at is Abraham. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 1 mentions Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, you may or may not know much about Abraham, but Abraham is a man who in Scripture is told as one who walks by 
faith. He famously, in Genesis chapter 12, followed God, not knowing where God was going to take him. He left his country, he left his friends, he left his family, and went on a journey. He is commended again and again in Scripture as a man of faith. But Abraham wrestled with doubt and unbelief. Just after he left his home and went to follow God, he was racked with doubt and unbelief. A famine came upon the land, and rather than trusting God, the Bible says he went down to Egypt. He went down to his base instinct and followed his gut to Egypt, where he should never have gone. Famously, you will know that Abraham, this old man who was married to Sarah, who was childless, was called by God to be the father of many nations. But where was the son? Where was the answer to that promise that Abraham was given? Again and again and again, Abraham was crying out to God and holding on to God's promises, but nothing happened. So he ends up giving up in believing in God and takes matters into his own hands. He hatched a plan and starts to basically sleep with his servant to make the promise come true. Abraham still believed in God, but he stopped believing as he should. He didn't believe any longer that God was truly almighty, that God was truly perfect, that God's timing was perfect, and he took matters into his own hands. Isn't that so often like us? Many of us as Christians, we don't stop believing in God, but we take matters into our own hands. We think, I can fix this. We, we, we stop believing in the God who creates, the God of miracles, the God who could do something out of nothing, and we start trying to make something happen our own. We're so busy doing that we stop trusting. But the important thing I want you to hear is this. God was not angry with Abraham's doubt and unbelief. In fact, God came to Abraham and said, look up. Look at the stars. Look at the promises that I have given you. And he gave him a son, Isaac. And the promises that God had promised to Abraham came to pass. I love in Mark chapter 9, where, where, where a father brings his son to Jesus. His son who is suffering, his son who needs a miracle. And, and, and the father says to Jesus these words. He says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I want you to know this Christmas that if you are struggling with doubt or if you are struggling with unbelief, that's okay. Christmas is for you. God will not give up on you. Christmas is for you. So that's Abraham. Let's jump on to Jacob. He's the next one I want to look at. Jacob. Jacob was born pulling back his own brother in the womb to push himself forward. Jacob was the one of scheming. He was the one of lies and deception. He took advantage of his brother's hunger to steal their birthright. He impersonated his brother to steal the birthright from his dad. He tricked his father-in-law to get the best of the flock. But I wonder when we look at Jacob, are we so different? 
Many of us, we take advantage of others to get ahead in life. We push others down so we might rise. We pretend to be someone that really we're not. We exaggerate the good and we airbrush the bad. And we always look to advance ourselves at the expense of others. But again, does God give up on Jacob? No. In fact, God says to Jacob, I want you to come to terms with the consequence of your lies and deception. And there's an incredible kind of picture of this encounter between God and Jacob in Genesis 32, when God wrestles with Jacob, and this incredible wrestling match takes place, and God humbles Jacob for his sin, his deception, and the wrong that he has done, but then gives him a new name. Jacob, from that point, is known as Israel. He is given a new identity. And you see, when we lie and deceive, we're to come to Jesus and we're to be given that new identity in Christ Jesus. Christmas, again, is for everyone. It's for us when we lie. It's for us when we deceive. It's for us when we pretend to be something that we are not. We have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Abraham and unbelief. Jacob and lies and deception. Then I want to look at Rahab. Verse 5. It talks about Rahab. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now there are four women in this genealogy in Matthew. Jewish writing often highlighted four women. But do you know the four women that Jewish writing often highlighted? It often highlighted Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. But they're not in this genealogy. There are four women in the genealogy in Matthew. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. But do you know what's stunning about that? And remember, Matthew, who wrote the gospel, is Jewish. All four are Gentiles. And three of them are very dodgy morally, are very dubious in some of their exploits in the bedroom. But the gospel is for all people. Rahab, in case you don't know, was a prostitute who lived and worked in Jericho. You can't downplay that that was her fact or that was her profession because it's mentioned no fewer than three times in the Old Testament account in Joshua. She there lived in the city of Jericho. Her home was known as a place that men frequented. But Rahab housed two of the spies who were sent to the promised land. In fact, one of them, Salem, became her husband. She gave them safety and security. She, she told the, the forces to go elsewhere, and then she let them escape out of a bucket the other side of the wall. And Rahab goes from the trash of society, from one who is defiled and sinful, to being named in the genealogy of Jesus, to marry Salmon, one of the spies, who was actually part of a leading Jewish family, and being commended by Paul in the New Testament for 
her faith. When Jericho was destroyed, she and all her household were saved because a piece of red thread or red rope was put outside of her window so that the Israelites knew to save Rahab and all who were in that household. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus saving us by his blood from the destruction that one day is to come. Christmas is for everyone. No matter your past, no matter what you have done, Jesus came to die on the cross and save us from our sins, to be forgiven and to be set free. Okay, fourth person we're going to look at in the genealogy is Ruth. Ruth is mentioned in Matthew 1 and verse 5. It's a little aside, it's my mum's name. So when I hear Ruth, it's like, mum, I've done something wrong. Ruth, what's that? Uh, hear my dad shouting out, Ruth. Anyway, so that's when I just hear the name Ruth. But Ruth is one of the most famous women in the Bible. She has a book of the Bible named after her. But it's incredible when you realize that she was not an Israelite. She was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. She was an outsider. She had to come to terms with the death of her husband and, and all of the, 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 the consequences and the fallout from that. She was a widower. She had to look after her mother-in-law. You can read the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. It's absolutely wonderful. But Ruth is a story of the love of a kinsman redeemer named Boaz, who is there in the genealogy as well. Boaz marries an outsider. He welcomes into the Jewish fold an outsider. His wife, Ruth, then inherits all that he has. He is a rich landowner. And Boaz is a foreshadower of Jesus Christ, the ultimate kinsman redeemer who says to all of us who are outsiders, come and believe in me, come into my family, and you will inherit everything that I own. You see, when you hear the name Ruth, it's important to know that Christmas is for everyone. There is no outsiders when it comes to the gospel. There is no outsiders when it comes to Christmas. Every tribe and tongue and nationality is welcomed in to the kingdom of God. We're all to be part of God's family. Okay, Abraham, Jacob, Rahab, and Ruth. Number five, we're going to look at David. We could spend ages looking at David. But there he is, King David, in verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. David was the greatest king of Israel. But when kings were meant to go to war, he stayed in the bedroom. He saw, he took, and he ate. He abdicated responsibility, he abused his power, and then lived in denial for what he had done. In case you don't know, he basically slept with someone else's wife. It makes EastEnders look like nothing. He slept with someone else's wife, then transpired to get them killed, took in 
the widow into his home to make it look like he was the rightful dad. Well, he wasn't because the timings were off, but he was a king, so he could make it look as if the timings were okay. And he lived in denial and brought up these children, and Bathsheba was his wife, when all along it was lying and killing and shame to hide his wrongdoing. But all that he did wouldn't make what he had done go away. If you read the Psalms, you can read there that David's inner man was groaning with guilt. It says somewhere that his bones were wasting away because of the sin. His strength dried up. His joy dried up. And it's only when he confesses his sins in Psalm 51 and owns his sin, puts his hand up and says, what I have done is wrong. It's only when he does that, that forgiveness and healing and God's graciousness comes tumbling in. Lust is stealing a love that doesn't belong to you. And I wonder, are we guilty of lust? Maybe not quite to the same scale as King David, but do we steal love that doesn't belong to us? Do we press in to relationships or situations when we have that check in our spirit? Do we keep following the slippery slope of lust when we know we shouldn't? Because for King David, it started with a look. It started with a glance. And then the slippery, slumbery slope came tumbling, tumbling down. But Christmas is for everyone. King David is named here. God forgave this adulterous, murderous David, and he can forgive you for whatever you may have done, whatever lust may have led to. God is a God of gracious, unfailing love who washes away our iniquities, who makes us clean, who makes us spotless in his love. Number six of our seven that we're going to pick out of this genealogy is Solomon, King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was probably the wisest king in Israel's history. Israel's kings were specifically charged not to do three things. They were charged not to go after horses, which equaled power. Back then, it's like not, not kind of like how many tanks have you got. It was how many horses have you got. So they were told not to go after power horses, not to go after many multiple wives, and not to go after silver and gold. You can read it in Deuteronomy 17. But Solomon greedily amassed all three. Solomon demonstrates this trait, which is often inside of all of us, of greed and the want for more. Money-wise, Solomon acquired 30 to 80 tons of gold just in one year. This, this, this one blows your mind because he, he amassed, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, time. How does it work? Don't go there. But, you know, it's crazy. He, he amassed 700 wives and 300 concubines and 40,000 horses. But here's the question. 
did it make him happy? No. Because Solomon is the same man who wrote Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, which says nothing under the sun can satisfy us. That life is meaningless unless God is at the center. And you see, Western culture that we live in today has this more, 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 more mantra. It's everywhere you look. More money, earn more money. More sex, more partners, more fulfillment. More likes, more clicks, more followers. More, 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 more. That's the culture that we live in today. And you know what? It's a burden that most of us carry, and it's impossible to satisfy, and we just walk around like this because we're burdened by this, this burden of more and this burden of going after more that culture tells us to. Someone said that greed, which is at the heart of this, Greed is a weapon of mass destruction, that it destroys all within its path. And if you think about it, that's true. Because if you are after something and you, you kind of won't give up on that thing and it's got inside of you, you will destroy everything and anything to get what greed is in your heart to go and get. And even Christmas, our commercialized Christmas in the West, has this crazy thing that's going on that says you can have it all, but you don't have enough. You can have it all, everything you want at Christmas, but you haven't got enough because you haven't got this, you haven't got that, you haven't got this, you haven't got that, you haven't got the perfect Christmas, you haven't got that Christmas present, you haven't got that thing we're advertising, you haven't got it, but you can have it all, you can have it all, you can have it all. Christmas is for everyone because, you know, whatever our greed inside of us, or whatever that greed has led to, the pain, the destruction that has come from that greed or that desire of more in our lives, you are not beyond God's grace. Because Solomon was not beyond God's grace, and neither are you. Jesus alone is enough. Fellowship and intimacy with Jesus is worth more than 80 tons of gold and the multiple sex partners or whatever it may be. Intimacy with Jesus is the answer to our heart's cry. Final one we're going to pick out. We could, we could have fun. We could spend the whole afternoon doing this and going through the genealogy of Jesus. But the last one I'm going to pick out has the best name of the lot. Jehoshaphat. What a name, Jehoshaphat. In verse 8, I love it. It says there, And Aspa, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome, and so on, and so on. Now, Jehoshaphat was one of the best kings of Israel. He was a really good king who walked in obedience with God. But he had one major kind of bad area of his life. He had one major blind spot. That's the word I was looking for when I was doing that. He had the one major blind spot, okay? One foolish area. And that was the bad alliances and relationships that he struck with other people. Let me give you three examples. So his first one was that he made a marriage alliance with King Ahab of Israel. He married into the family of the man who went around killing Israel's prophets. 
he married the daughter of Queen Jezebel. I mean, man, come on. What are you doing? Godly man, really walking with God, but marries the daughter of Jezebel. Bad decision. Secondly, then, he enters a military alliance with King Ahab to fight against others. He, he, he enters into this alliance with the one, one Kings, verse 20, one Kings chapter 21 says of King Ahab that he was a king of all Israel. He did the most evil in the eyes of the Lord. And who does Jehoshaphat choose to have an alliance with? King Ahab. And then thirdly, he doesn't learn from his mistakes. It's not like he married the daughter of Jezebel. He had alliance with Ahab. Years later, later in life, he then joins forces with Isaiah, who was Ahab's son, who had taken to the throne in replacement of his dad. Bad decision. Again, why would you do that? You made a stupid alliance with King Ahab. He is taken off the throne. His son, who is equally wicked, takes on the throne, and there's Jehoshaphat, seemingly godly guy, makes another unholy alliance with Ahazah. God tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 that we're not to be unequally yoked. Our relationships matter. Fellowship is not to be between light and darkness. You see, Jehoshaphat, despite all his good, and he was a good, godly king, he made bad alliances, bad friendships, bad relationships, and that led to serious consequences. But again, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Christmas is for everyone. Whatever alliances, whatever relationships you may have made, past, present, Maybe there's some unhealthy relationships in your life that you have made. Maybe at work, maybe friendships, groups, maybe who knows where. They're bad for you. You know that, but you've still made that unholy, unhelpful alliance. You need to cut it off. But God says Christmas is for everyone, no matter the friendships, the alliances that we have made. Or maybe it's just you having a, a kind of unhealthy alliance with the world. You're so in love with the world and so in love with the things of the world that it then leads to consequences in your own life. You're so kind of embedded in the competitive culture at work or the competitive culture in your life with friends or on social media that it completely kind of colors everything in your life. It's time to say sorry. It's time to turn your back on that way of living and turn back to God. In conclusion, Christmas is for everyone. It's for Abraham and his unbelief. It's for Jacob with his lies and deception. It's for Rahab with her sordid past. It's for Ruth the outsider. It's for David with his lust. It's for Solomon with his greed. It's for Jehoshaphat with his dodgy alliances and relationships. Christmas is for everyone. No one is excluded from the good news of Jesus. No one is beyond 
saving is beyond redemption. No one. And all of us, this is the beautiful thing, all of us can have our name written into the genealogy of Jesus. Because if you were to write this on, on reams and reams and reams, you'd find my name down there somewhere. The day I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can too, can find your name in the genealogy of Jesus. You can be part of God's family. You can be forgiven, restored, try finding true fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All who put their faith and trust in Jesus can be written into the Christmas story. Two things to close. Firstly, got these little booklets. There's a whole bunch of them uh, on the way out. Andy or Marie can give them to you or just pick them up from the table. They're called Why Christmas. It's just a short explanation of the gospel of what Christmas means. There's a little prayer at the back that you can pray. I would encourage you, take one of these. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, or maybe you have, but you'd like to find out some more, please take one of these booklets as a gift from us. And then secondly, we're going to pray in a moment. What we're going to do is we're going to get everyone to stand. The band are going to come up in a moment, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who, at this point in time, has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that today. Christmas is for everyone. It's for each one of you. And today, you can be written into the family line, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Can we all stand and band? Nina and band, could you come up? That would be wonderful. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. You don't have to. There's nothing super holy about doing that. But sometimes we close our eyes because it helps us to concentrate. It blocks out some of the distractions around us. So you don't have to. But if you want to, if you just want to take a moment before we worship together, before we draw our time together to a close, just close our eyes for a moment. There's an invitation for each one of us. And the invitation is twofold. The invitation to some is come for the very first time. Christmas is for everyone. Come to Jesus and you can be part of his family. But many of us, though you are part of God's family, and you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are written in that genealogy of Jesus' life, but there's an issue in your life. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's deception, maybe it's unhealthy relationships, maybe it's greed, maybe you're struggling with doubt and unbelief, whatever it may be, you just need to bring it to Jesus, bring it to the light, bring it to him, the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who is the light of the world. When we bring our sins, our, we bring our confessions to him, he deals with them. He takes them away. He walks us through the challenges and the consequences to what we may have done. 
but he is always there for us. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. So let's take a moment to pray. Firstly, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do that this morning, it's the most wonderful thing that you can do. It's a joyful, beautiful thing. When you're born again, Scripture says, and you're adopted into the family of God, a son, a daughter of the Most High. And it's not complicated. The Bible says we need to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died in our place and rose again. We need to confess our sins, say, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And we then need to do something about it and just say to Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. I've fallen short. I've messed up. Come into my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you deal with my sin. Come into my life. If that's you, just need to pray, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and three days later rose again. Jesus, come into my life. If you've done that for the first time, then Jesus will come and live and dwell inside of you. God inside of us. It's the most wonderful thing that you can ever do in your life. It changes you forever. It means you have a place in heaven written out for you, ready and waiting, and you have life eternal right now to enjoy. If you've said that or prayed that, please come and speak to me at the end. Speak to Jen, speak to one of the other leaders. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you further. And then for many of us who are Christians, who are believers, I want to be serious for a moment before we finish and we celebrate and we worship. I believe as I went through those seven individuals and seven sins or, or seven struggles or wrestles with life that we may have, that one or two of them may have resonated with many of us just believe God would say he wants to shine a light he's not here to bring shame he shines a light on the struggles that we are having and he brings freedom he brings freedom he brings forgiveness and he brings freedom so if one of those particular I'm not going to name them again but if one of those particular areas was something that resonated with you I would like you to put your hand out in front of you I'm going to pray a prayer and then we're going to worship as you lay out your hands together just picture picture giving to Jesus the lust that you struggle with picture giving to Jesus your doubts and unbelief picture giving to Jesus the greed that eats you up inside Picture giving to Jesus the unhealthy relationships you need to go and break or shift or change or deal with and ask for forgiveness from. Just picture it. And I'm going to pray a prayer of forgiveness and freedom. And then Nina and the band will lead us into worship. Father God, I want to pray, Father, that you would bring this morning forgiveness and freedom to all the brothers and sisters of Christ who are here in front of us, you would bring forgiveness and freedom. Though we are forgiven for what may be in our past, we are forgiven for mistakes made by the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven. 
And not only is there forgiveness from the past, there is freedom for the future. And Lord, I want to pray freedom over the struggles that we all face. Freedom over that, that, that monster called greed. Freedom, Lord Jesus, breaking hold of relationships that are unhealthy, that do us bad, that mess up our lives. Freedom from those relationships. Lord, I want to pray freedom, Lord Jesus, from lies and deception and, and pretending to be what we're not. Freedom, Lord Jesus. So often we know that there's forgiveness, but we forget that there is freedom. There is freedom from all these things. Jesus won that at the cross. He didn't just deal with the past, which he did. He dealt with your past. Your past is washed clean, but he also dealt with your future. He also dealt with your future, bringing you freedom. So you don't have to go down the same paths. You can live a life which is free. So Father God, we just say to you right now, Lord Jesus, we trust in your forgiveness and in your freedom, the freedom that comes in Christ Jesus, the freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. Why don't you now, Nina, if you could start worshiping and leading us, can I encourage you to raise your hands? You've just had an eye in front of you. Can I encourage you to raise them? Something that just physically could help us saying, I've dropped it. It's gone. It's gone. It's done. I now rejoice in Jesus. I now have my hands up in surrender to Jesus, in adoration to Jesus, who forgives me and loves me and brings freedom to this place.